0: Welcome to Nevertheless, She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of She Persisted. I am so excited to be sitting down and recording this first episode of this three-part series all about mental health and college applications. As soon as I started the college application process, I knew that I wanted to be extremely transparent about it. I knew that I wanted to bring you guys along with me for the process and talk about what worked, what didn't, how I maintained my mental health, how I approached talking about my mental health. I wanted to get experts on the pod to get their opinions, all of that kind of stuff, and I'm so excited that I'm finally getting to sit down and do that. So to give you a lay of the land, this first episode is going to be about my application, my story, my stats, what I told colleges about my mental health journey, what I didn't, and how all of that panned out. Next week's episode is going to be with my dear, dear, dear friend, Maya. She's been on the podcast before. I love her to death. She's one of my best friends in the whole entire world, and we're going to dive into what the college application process is like on your mental health. It's extremely stressful. You have immense amount of work you're submitting. You're putting yourself on the line for judgment and potential rejection. So we're going to talk about what that experience is like, how you can maintain your mental health during the process, and tips and tricks to kind of navigate that rejection, work through it, deal with it, all of that kind of stuff. For the third episode of this series, I am having a former college admissions counselor from a top 50 school, come on the podcast, and we're going to dive into the do's and don'ts of talking about mental health in a college application. As you'll hear in this episode, I was pretty transparent about my journey, but it's also important to be mindful about how you're displaying your mental health in any professional situation, whether that's a college application, a job application, an interview, etc. So we're going to dive into what should you mention, what should you not, what should you be aware of, all of that kind of stuff. So I cannot wait for you guys to listen to these three episodes. And without further ado, let's get into my experience. So I wrote down some notes for this episode to prep and make sure I talked about everything that I wanted to talk about, and I'm going to start with my stats in my application that I submitted, and then I'm going to get into my thought process, my advice for you, and actually what I wrote about in my essays. So sophomore year, freshman year, even junior year, when I thought about what I wanted to write about for my college application, I had no idea. I didn't really have a narrative. I didn't have a story. I'm not an athlete. I wasn't at a school for years and years, building clubs and being in leadership. I've done this immense amount of personal growth. In treatment, but I didn't really have any of these standard boxes that I could check within the school realm. And so when it came time to kind of construct my college application and my narrative, what I was submitting to colleges was, and I promise this isn't a joke, I was submitting a year and a half of grades. So freshman year, the school that I attended didn't do grades, so I had nothing to submit for my freshman year. I had taken a medical leave of absence during the second semester, and the first semester I'd taken classes, but there were no grades. Sophomore year, I did have a year of grades, but it wasn't from a very well-known school. It was from a small boarding school, but on my transcript, it does show as the local public school. Junior year, a lot to Kind of adapt to the public school system of grades and test taking and studying. I went from a therapeutic boarding school that was extremely lax regarding academics. I don't think I did homework that entire year, and I promise that's not an exaggeration. I'm not just being like, oh, I didn't do, no. there was not homework and I went to a typical public school. And during those first six, 12 weeks even, I had multiple F's in classes. Like, I did not know how to study for a test. I was doing all the work. I was doing the homework. I was doing the assignments, but I didn't know how to study for a test. I didn't know how to take a test. I was struggling. I reached out. I got support. I asked my teachers. I asked my friends. I was able to adapt and come out of that semester with I think I had three A's and three B's, if I remember correctly. I was able to turn that around and it still wasn't what I wished it would have been. And knowing that those were the only grades I was going to be submitting to college made me really nervous because second semester of junior year, we had coronavirus. So we went past fail at my school, which meant I was submitting to my early decision and early action schools like year and a half of grades. Most people were submitting three years of grades and AP scores. All I had was a year and a half of grades and I was Honestly, I didn't think I was going to get accepted. My first thought was that I was going to get rejected, but beyond that, if there was even the slightest chance that I could get into my early decision school, I was positive that I was going to get deferred because they had almost no information on me academically. So my GPA that I applied to colleges with was weighted a 3.93 and unweighted, I think it was like a 3.8 something. My current GPA after the fall semester is wrapped up during my senior year is a weighted 4.0 and an unweighted 3.83. And I'm telling you that because I'm not 100% sure about what my GPA was when I applied, so like I felt like that's a more accurate metric. But yeah, moving on to standardized test scores. If you were familiar with the college application process during the pandemic, you would know that almost every single school, actually I do think every single school, went test optional. The UCs didn't accept test submissions at all. Many said optional, not required, and some did recommend it. I really, really, really wanted to submit a test score. And I'll get into it kind of how much I was able to improve my score, because that was a huge factor of why I wanted to show that. But I was submitting a year and a half of grades, and if I couldn't submit a test score that matched what the school was looking for, like, they had no reason to academically believe that I was suited for their institution. So I knew that my GPA was on the low end, if not below the average of the school I was applying to, and I kind of told myself it was a, it was, it wasn't okay, but I didn't have the opportunity to get those spring semester AP grade boosts. I didn't have access to AP courses freshman and sophomore year, which meant that I didn't again get that that grade boost. So my GPA for logistical reasons was already at a deficit and I also had some B's on my transcript. So For that reason, I really felt it was important to submit a high test score. Now, my testing process was stressful and all over the place to say the least. I got a SAT prep, one of those giant, like, 10 tests in it, walks you through all the sections, test prep books, during my sophomore year, and I was spending probably, like, 30 minutes a night kind of working through that, highlighting, taking tests, doing sections, so I started studying for the SAT during my sophomore year of high school. I don't necessarily think that everyone needs to do that. I know I was not doing practice tests every single weekend, but I was consistently studying, since sophomore year so the first time that i took the sat was in august of my junior year of high school and going into the college application process my hope was that by the end of junior year i would have a test score that i was completely confident with i would be done with the sat and acts before the summer before senior year i would finish up my personal statement during that summer break and going into senior year i would be almost done with my college applications didn't happen. (laughs) So, when I took that first SAT during my junior year in August, I scored a 1240. Flash forward a year from that point in September of 2020, when I took the SAT again, I got a 1360. So, on the SAT, I was able to raise my score about 120 points. I did work with a tutor and regularly do practice tests, test sections, timing myself, working through the questions, looking up explanations, all that kind of stuff. And I was planning to take the SAT for pretty much one of the final times in March of 2020. And that was when COVID hit, literally almost two weeks from now. It was on my birthday. And I checked the night before and I was like, is my test center open? And a test center with the same name as my test center had been closed. So I was like, okay, it's canceled. Like, this sucks. I was really bummed, but I was like, it's COVID. Everything is being shut down. Almost all the test centers were closed. So I didn't go. Lo and behold, the test did happen. I missed it. And so I did not get that March test date. So I took the SAT officially two times. Once at the beginning of my junior year, I got a 1240. And again, almost a year later after studying intensively that summer, and I got a 1360. When I was prepping for the SAT with a tutor, I randomly did an ACT practice test. And I did score slightly higher on the ACT version than I did the SAT. So when March came and I was planning to take the SAT, after that point, I was planning to transition to exclusively ACT test prep, and I was just gonna get ready, prepare to take the ACT and commit to that. And so I didn't take the SAT, but continued to test prep in preparation for taking the ACT. So from that point onwards, I studied to take the ACT. The first time I took the ACT, I got a 31, which was already improved from what my SAT score was, but it was still one below the range of University of Pennsylvania, which was I think 31 to 35 was their range. I could be totally wrong on that, so don't quote me. I took it again a couple of months later, and I got a 33. So that broke down to be a 36 in the reading, an English section, a 32 in the mathematics, and a 28 in the science section. And that was a total mess to get that test taken because it was in the middle of a pandemic. So that was the test score I applied with. I applied with a 33 on the ACT, which translated to a high 1400s, low 1500s on the SAT. So guys, I raised my test score from a 1240 to a high 1400s. So if you have a test score that you're not happy with when you take the PSAT, when you take the SAT, you can raise that and you can raise that a lot. I know I was really discouraged when I started Googling. People were saying like, oh, like 100 points is a lot to raise your test score. And I was like, I need to raise it way more than 100 points. If I have any chance of looking at these good schools, like I I need a miracle was basically what I was hearing and with consistently doing practice tests, learning how to take the test. So while the SAT does mark your academic achievement and potential and intelligence, it is a game in the way that it's written. Every single answer is in front of you in the book. You just need to know how to look for those answers. You need to know what sentence structures to look for. You need to know what kind of questions they're asking. You need to know which formulas to memorize and you're good. So if you want me to go into more detail about how I studied and approached taking the ACT and the SAT, I could do like a TikTok series or an Instagram post on it. So let me know, DM me or email me and I can do that. And so the reason I'm being so transparent is one, I think it really says a lot to how much you can improve your score with dedicated practice on the ACT and the SAT. And I also really do think it shows that a perfect GPA and a perfect test score aren't necessarily everything. And you can have a really mod podge of an application of sorts. And if it's unique and it hits home with whoever's reading your application, you still can have chance at attending the school of your dreams. And so that's why I'm giving you so much information on this is one to show how much you can improve your scores and do well with the cards that you're dealt and also not to leave any ambiguity because I feel like that just leads to more anxiety. And I know whenever people talk about their college applications, they like wouldn't tell me their scores or their grades, I would get more insecure about what mine were. And yeah, I just feel like the best way to approach this is transparency and giving you all the information. So recapping so far, the stats that I applied with was about a 3.93 weighted and 3.8 something unweighted. I applied with a 33 on the ACT and i had a year and a half of grades that i was submitting the next thing that i wanted to touch on was the ap's i took i was not even aware of ap classes until i got to public school but it really is a thing that people stress out about and it's important if you take ap classes or whatever so i'm just going to tell you what ap classes i took i honestly don't know how much of a difference it makes it definitely helped to weight my gpa and it helps when i was struggling in a class to have a b and have that weight my gpa as an a so I'm gonna tell you what AP classes I took and take with that information what you will. So junior year, I took AP US History, AP Lang, and AP Chemistry. The other classes that I took on my schedule were Physics, Spanish, and Precalculus. And then senior year, I am taking AP literature, AP psychology, biotechnology, and normal government and econ. So total that six APs during all four years of high school. However, I was applying with grades from three APs and I had three more on my schedule for that fall semester, but I hadn't gotten grades yet. Next thing I'm going to dive into is the activities that I had on my common app. So if you haven't done the common application yet, your activity section is basically could be compared to a resume. You're talking about whatever clubs you did, whatever internships you did, whatever projects that you have on the side that... You spend your free time doing that could be a sport, all these kinds of things. So, I think you can put up to 10 total activities in your common application. And it doesn't have to just be sports and clubs. I put my podcast, I put my job. If you have work experience, it's really valuable. It shows commitment, it shows hard work, it shows persistence, all that kind of stuff. So, in this order, here is what I put in my activity section. The first one I put was my podcast. So, the category I said was journalism and publication. Said it was about 20 hours per week, 52 weeks per year. So I was the podcast founder, creator, and host of Sheep Resisted LLC. And you can have like a very short blurb. So what I said was 50 episodes released, interviewed world renowned clinicians, receives over 10K monthly listeners featured as one of the most influential Gen Z podcasts. So that's what I put as far as the podcast in my activity section. Additionally, I put my job, which is a podcast production assistant for a Dear Media podcast. So I said produced episodes and content reaching over 1 million audience members, spearheaded guest outreach booking, managed responses to inbound communications. And I said that was 15 hours per week f- for 52 weeks per year. And to give you context, most of these activities that I was listing, because i just gotten out of treatment junior year, I only had two years of experience for many of these things. So, even though I didn't have all four years of participation in these clubs or activities, I still was showing commitment and putting a lot of my free time into these activities. So, the rest of the things I'm not going to go into that much detail for, but I s- put in my community service volunteer work at my local hospital. I put that I was a varsity team member for my mock trial team that I founded and was a member of the community service club at my boarding school. I was a student government representative and secretary at my boarding school. The other clubs that I listed were Broadcasting Club, Red Cross Club, Women in STEM, And the last thing that I put was being a member of the cheerleading team this year. Those were the activities that I listed. And again, I was trying to put together a resume despite the fact that I had been in three different states during my first three and a half years of high school. This week's episode is sponsored by Teen Counseling. I cannot tell you guys how many DMs, texts, emails I get from teens, parents, even friends asking how can I find a therapist? How can I enroll in therapy? How can I find a therapist for my teen? How do I tell my parents I want to go to therapy? That's why I'm partnering with Teen Counseling. Teen Counseling is an online therapy program with over 14,000 licensed therapists in their network. They offer support on things like depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and more, and it's all targeted at teens. They offer text, talk, and video counseling. So no matter what level of support you're looking for, they got you. You're going to go to teencounseling.com slash shepersisted. You'll fill out a quick survey about what your goals are for therapy, whether that's improving your mental health during the pandemic, working on your relationship with your parents, improving self-esteem, whatever it is, they'll match you with therapists that fit your needs. You'll enter your information and your parents' information. Your parents will get a super discreet email saying your child's interested in working with a licensed therapist at teencounseling.com. They head to the website, learn a little bit more about the program and a preview to work with a therapist and from there you can meet that therapist on a frequency that works for you this is a great way to dip your toe into the therapy world and get support when you need it without having to go into an office meet with a therapist meet with a stranger and go through all of that for the first time so you can go to teencounseling.com/ she persisted again that's teencounseling.com/ she persisted to get started today so with all of those application pieces, together, I'm going to talk about what schools I was looking at. And this list changed a lot. At one point, I had almost entirely safety schools and target schools to having predominantly reach and a few target schools on my list. And I want to credit my parents a lot with kind of motivating me and pushing me to do that because I think if I was applying myself, I do believe in myself and my potential, but I don't think I would have believed that I even had a chance at a lot of these schools, and I still had the headspace of why not try applying? Why not put your application in? It might just be what they're looking for go for it. Why not do it? It might be crazy out of your target list of schools, but if you never apply, the answer will 100% be no. So if you right now are thinking about adding a school to your list that seems like it's out of your target schools or your target range, do it. 100% add it to your list. So the final list of schools that I have planned to apply to in no particular order was Boston College, Duke Northwestern, University of Michigan, UNC Chapel Hill, University of Oregon, Vanderbilt, University of Pennsylvania, Dartmouth, John Hopkins and Carnegie Mellon and Brown. And this was from a spreadsheet that I pulled off of. I may have added one or two to my Common App while I was finalizing applications, but this is a pretty accurate list. So the way that I approached this list was I chose two schools that I felt really confident in. I felt that I was a target applicant. I had a GPA that was within and above their range I had an ACT score that was above the range I had a lot of things to bring to the table and so I felt good about those two schools and the rest were all reach schools my hope was that one of these would take me and my story and it would be just crazy enough that they would appreciate it and see my potential so in October of 2020 I submitted my applications to University of Oregon and University of North Carolina Chapel Hill and on November 1st I submitted my application to University of Pennsylvania After that, I did submit my application to University of Michigan, and I think there is one other school that I can't remember off the top of my head, but the first school that I heard back from was University of Pennsylvania, and I heard back from them mid-December, I think, and I don't remember the exact date, but it was like the 19th, 20th, something like that. It was that week. So that was the first application that I got a decision on. I coincidentally ended up getting my decision from University of Oregon the same day, But that was the first school that I heard back from. And because my early decision school was the University of Pennsylvania, it was a binding decision. So if I got in, I agreed to go there. And so from that point onwards, I didn't submit any further applications. And those that I had submitted, which was about three or four, I withdrew my application and denied acceptance. And like I've said so far, that was 100% not the way I thought this was going to go. I remember having a conversation with my mom where she was like, you know, like, taking a postgraduate year could be really helpful for you just to kind of improve your GPA and your grades. And it'll just really help you like get into one of these top schools. I remember she was like forwarding me articles about like community colleges and like how it can be really effective to transfer from a community college. So like, I didn't really know where this was gonna go. I, like I said, 100% thought I was gonna get rejected. If anything, I thought I was gonna get deferred because they had no information on me and couldn't even make a decision. And somehow, magically, that was not the case. So I think I'll put this in the title so you already know at this point, but I'm going to attend the University of Pennsylvania. That was my early decision school. So now we're gonna dive into what I wrote about my personal statement and my supplement because that's why I waited this long to kind of do what was in my essays because it was specific to the University of Pennsylvania. So the reason why I decided to do University of Pennsylvania for my early decision school, there was a couple of reasons. When I was looking at schools, I looked at the top psych programs. I wanted a school that had a really good psychology program and was ranked well in the nation for that major. So I looked at those schools from there. I wanted a school that wasn't in the middle of nowhere. I wanted one that was a kind of larger college. It was in a city or near a city and not like in the middle of a forest. I had enough of that in Montana, so I wanted to be near civilization. I wanted there to be a social life and that I could make really good friendships and relationships and be active in clubs and in that community and just form really amazing relationships that would last me my whole life. I remember always hearing people like, oh, like my college friends had the best time in college, like just your roommates. And so I wanted a school that did, that did have that level of community and connection. And then from there, I looked specifically at research programs and which schools offered undergraduate research. A lot of them did offer graduate research participation, but undergraduate research, even sophomore and junior freshman year was kind of rare. So I looked for schools that really did optimize for that. So now that we've covered why UPenn, here's what I talked about in my personal statement. Maybe I'll read it. Is that weird? I'll try and like make it interesting. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, guys. Like I could summarize it. It's also on my website. So just you can skip past this if you want to read it yourself. But yeah, I'll put it in the description box. But I'm going to read it. I won't read you supplementals, but I'll read the personal statement because I'm proud of it. I want to start this essay by acknowledging my story is not one typically showcased in a college application, nor, as you are about to learn, is it one that many would choose for themselves. But it is my story and one of grit, determination, and perseverance. At age 13, I battled depression so severe I had become physically paralyzed for hours entrapped in my own thoughts and self-disgust. Not long after that time, I left home for a year and a half, putting a pin in my high school pursuits in the hope of drastically shifting my life trajectory. It was a lot for an 8th grader. To my own surprise, this saving grace of treatment worked, but not because there was a miracle cure. There was no happy pill that magically solved all my problems. If anything, the miracle was me deciding that I wanted my life to be different. At that point, for the first time in my existence, I wanted to live a life I loved. From that moment on, every second of every day was dedicated to achieving this goal despite how far I was from it. I wanted to remind you that I was 14. I was not your average mental health guru in my mid-30s trying to align my inner chakras. I'd never been to prom and was years away from being able to legally drive a car. I nonetheless learned to rewire every belief system upon which I lived. In a family where I often felt isolated, I learned to build connections that fostered support, care, and community. I went from struggling with severe depression to becoming symptom and diagnosis-free. This growth in itself is rare. However, at 15, I also started a podcast to share my unique mental health journey with the world. My persistence paid off. It blew up. In the first year and a half, I've reached tens of thousands of struggling teens, confused parents, and open-minded professionals all finding hope for my story. With over 50 episodes, I've led impactful conversations with industry experts, fellow teenagers, diving into their own mental growth, and others working to spark crucial discussions in the mental health space. My audience has doubled in the most recent 30-day period and is on track to double in size again by the time you review my application. The following is representative of the many emails and comments I receive in a given month. It is outstanding and I will listen to all the episodes and share with my family. City is wonderful and quite self-aware, healthy, and intelligent. The podcast will help many people, my family included. It exudes kindness and a desire to help. From a father of a teenage girl struggling with depression and anxiety. Getting to the healthy, strong mental state I was able to achieve several years ago took immense effort. Finding the motivation within myself to do this work was the hardest thing I've ever done. I created my podcast to help other people like me find their motivation. And it's working. My next step? To become a clinical psychologist so I can do this on an even larger scale. My experience may not be the type commonly presented in an application, however, I'm so very proud of my experience that began back in my 8th grade year. I'm extremely fortunate to get to be the protagonist in this epic and high-impact adventure. My story has been well-earned, and through my podcast, I've learned that sharing it is a step towards being part of the solution, not part of the problem, and my story is only just the beginning. So that was my personal statement, and it theoretically would have been submitted to every single college that I applied to. So kind of diving into my thought process behind this, I had literally, I think only a paragraph about my struggle with mental health. I did touch on it. I did mention that it was the reason that I started the podcast and have this passion for clinical psychology. But it was more of a phoenix rising from the ashes moment and that that was the baseline, but the focus was the podcast and everything that came from that struggle. Another thing that comes to mind to mention is that I think I only had three to four people read my personal statement. I had my therapist read it to kind of screen it and be like, oh, maybe that's a little bit too graphic. Let's cut that. This language communicates something else. I had both my parents read it and then I had my English teacher read it. So I felt like one of the most common pieces of of advice I heard when people were talking about college applications was to get everyone and their mother to read your essay and give you feedback. And I do think there can be benefit to that depending on what you're writing on. You want it to be received well because you don't know who's going to be reading it. It's some random college admissions counselor who might be in a bad mood. You want to be 100% sure that your message is there clearly and will be interpreted correctly. And I think it's really, really important to go with your gut and go with the narrative that you feel to be true. I got small edits and spelling errors and changes like that and reframe sentence structures. It is my essay and my story and my application. And my voice, one of a teenager, does come through in this essay because I wrote it. And I did get feedback, but I didn't let it completely change to the point where it wasn't my essay anymore. And so I think that's another thing to to make sure... That you keep in mind when writing your essay that it is your narrative and your story and that you get to be the one in charge of what it says this week's episode is brought to you by sakara you guys know how much i'm stressing the importance of good sleep good nutrition getting outside staying active because when we don't take care of our physical health our mental health truly suffers as well I know that my emotional vulnerability is off the charts when I'm not taking care of my physical health, I can't be productive, my relationships struggle, and everything just becomes a mess. Saqqara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness starting with what you eat. The organic ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients and they're designed to boost your energy, improve digestion, and get your skin glowing. Their meals are delivered all around the US, ready to eat, at your door, and you are good to go. They also have some amazing wellness essentials, like one of my favorites, their sleep tea, which you know I love a good cup of tea before bed to keep my sleep hygiene in check. They also have things like beauty chocolates, like chocolate that you eat to help your skin, like literally mind blown. So many different supplements, teas, powders, granola, all of that kind of stuff. To get your hands on their amazing products, you can go to sakara.com and use code XOSADY at checkout for 20% off. Again, that's sakara.com. Use code XOSADY at checkout for 20% off your first order. So that was the foundation of my application. It was my mental health led me to have this passion. And with that passion, I've created this podcast, which is the first step I've taken to making change in the mental health field. Big picture, I want to go to your university because I want to become a clinical psychologist. I had two supplementals that I also submitted, which were required by UPenn. So one of them was about the Penn community and one was about why Penn, like what you hope to do there. So one of these... I went from the perspective of research and I specifically name dropped specific professors and researchers at UPenn that I admired their work, I wanted to work with, I wanted to take their classes, and the specific program that I wanted to attend. And I also again laid that foundation of why I have this passion for mental health, how I know this. I podcast every single week or almost every single week, facilitating this conversation, continuing it, and that's how I know this to be true. So For the community question, I also kind of played off the podcasting thing, how I'd created this community virtually with other teen podcasters, other guests that I'd pitched to that have been on the podcast, brands, all that kind of stuff, people I've met on social media. And how that took a lot of vulnerability, and it was honestly scary to kind of reach out to all these people I didn't know and had never met before, and how that also carries over to Penn. How I'm going to meet all these amazing new people, and I'm going to have to step outside of my comfort zone and start those relationships. And that's what I'm willing to add to the community, is being that person to step in and start building these authentic, amazing, real relationships, and have these really powerful, meaningful discussions about things like So those were my writing supplements for the University of Pennsylvania. So we have gone through stats. We've gone through my list of schools. We have gone through what I wrote about. The last thing to touch on is letters of recommendation. And after that, you have an entire full picture of my University of Pennsylvania application. So I don't know what the norm is for all schools. I know that my school said you could ask a maximum of two teachers for recommendations and you could also get one from your guidance counselor um, or academic counselor, I guess I should say. So I chose to ask two of my teachers for my junior year for my recommendations. I asked my English teacher and Miss Malone, if you're listening to this, I've not forgotten about your merch. I want to give it to you in person, so waiting until we go back to school. But she has this amazing wall of university flags. And every single time she writes a recommendation letter for a student, her one ask is that they give her a flag whenever they decide where they're going to go to school. So she has like 20 plus flags of schools all around the country where kids from her classes have gone. And I can't wait to add to that. So I haven't forgotten, I promise if you're listening. She's probably not, but it's okay. So I asked her and the reason I asked her was one of our projects during my junior year was to write a research paper. And we got to choose the topic for this research paper, and shocking, shocking, I wrote about mental health and specifically dialectical behavioral therapy. And because my application was so centered around this idea of mental health and DBT, I wanted to get a recommendation that would support this. And... I don't know how this works at every school, but at my school, you fill out a survey and talk about kind of an example of a way you've excelled in the class, a project that you felt showed your strengths, how would you describe yourself? Because first of all, teachers are writing so many recommendations, but it's also kind of helpful for them to kind of see the narrative in which you're kind of taking your application. So having that example of how I had already applied my passion for mental health and my love for this research in the academic setting, I felt was really powerful. I also felt like I'd grown tremendously during that year in her class I started not understanding how to do rhetorical analysis at all to being like not too bad at it if I do say so myself and so I feel like she saw that persistence she saw that growth and I also had this great example of my passion for mental health research which was showcased in her class the second teacher that I chose for a recommendation was my history teacher and she was also one of my coaches for mock trial and the reason that I chose her was because I really felt like she saw me as a person and so like I mentioned she was my mock trial coach and when thinking about her as a recommendation writer, I went back to this one situation where this girl was having a panic attack during the mock trial meet and having been there literally hundreds of times myself, I kind of jumped in and I took her to the bathroom. I didn't know this girl at all and she was pretty shy and I went in and I was like, okay, we're gonna get some water, just breathe, you got this, put this under your eyes and at first she was like kind of like, walking away. like She was like, what the heck are you doing? I don't know. You get away from me. I'm freaking out. But I was like, trust me, I got just put this under your eyes. We got this. We're going to be good. And Miss Klinsky was there as well. And I don't know if she like has ever thought about this again, but in that moment, I feel like she really got to see me through this lens of an authentic, caring person who had this skill in the, the mental health realm, and had this compassion and empathy for people that are struggling with anxiety or depression or whatever it is, And saw me as more than just like a student. And so when thinking about a teacher who got to know me, even though I'd only been in person at my high school for one semester, she came to mind. And I don't even know what she wrote about in her application. I also felt like I was a strong student in her class. But that was something that I felt also added to my application and that she saw me in a really authentic human personable way that also added to my mental health passions. And so the third recommendation that I had from someone at my school was my guidance counselor. And because I did transfer during my junior year, I was able to build an amazing relationship with her and really be open with her about my mental health and what I'd gone through, and that I was—I was like, I'm good now. But I also just want to have you be aware of this, and so I was able to spend a lot of time with her during that first semester, and I felt that that also helped me get an additional recommendation from someone who knew me and who who got me and could really speak to who I was as a person within the context of high school. And so, if you want to hear more about my tips for building a relationship with your guidance counselor, you can listen to my episode on mental health advice for high school students. And the last recommendation that I do want to mention is actually someone that came on the podcast. And I reached out to one of the clinicians that I came into contact with in treatment at Three East, and he came on the podcast. And that's Lays or Dr. Agiri, And he is an expert in adolescent psychiatry, dialectical behavioral therapy, teen mental health, all of that. And he saw me when I was literally at my worst. I came in there hating everything. I couldn't get out of bed. I I was at the lowest point in my entire life, and he saw me pull myself out of that depression and and build my life from the shambles that it was in, and so he saw this amazing, phenomenal growth of me as a person, but he also had this expertise as a mental health professional and an industry leader to be like, hey, what she's doing is, like, kind of cool or maybe has some benefit, and so he was another person that I reached out to to further the credibility of the work that I'm trying to do with the podcast. And so you now see my application, which is that you have a kid that submitted average GPA for this school. I had a just within the range ACT score after much practice and much improvement I had some recommendations that really spoke to the strengths of my application and what was in the application. I had an extracurricular, which I'd put my all into, which was this podcast. My heart, my soul, every free hour, every free moment went into this podcast. And I was able to tell them I have 50 episodes, tens of thousands of listeners, audience members with amazing feedback. And this is what I've got for you. Please take it or leave it. And then Building off of that, that extracurricular, when talking about why this school is for me and why I love mental health and why this is how I know I'm 100% sure this is what I want to do with my life, and that's my application, and it was the most shocking moment of my life. I'll post it on Instagram again when this episode comes out. I guess that's today. Guys, I'm recording this Friday. It was supposed to come out this morning. I'll post this week that, that video again for you. But I, I cried. I screamed. I was shocked. I, no one in my family was expecting that to happen. Me least of all, actually my sister probably, because right before we opened the thing, she was like, I don't think you're going to get in and it's going to be really embarrassing. And I was like, thanks for the vote of confidence, Ivy. Thank you so much. And so I was, I was shocked and I was appalled. And I'm so glad that I'm finally getting to sit down and record this series. So I think that wraps up our episode one of the college application series, which was my application, how I approached my essays, how I approached my recommendations and my testing and all of that kind of stuff. If you want a question answered in next week's episode with Maya about how to navigate your mental health, while applying to colleges be sure to dm it to me on instagram i'll put a question box up at some point this week to get all your lovely questions you can also email me if you're not on social media and i will include it as well so with that being said thank you for listening i loved recording this episode it's one of my favorites that i've done in a while and we're just going off on a tangent here on the end past couple of weeks what i've done is i've like had the whole camera set up and i've like videoed it for social media but It's not the same as just sitting here and talking out into my empty bedroom and knowing hopefully that someone's listening and I just like this more. So I know the videos are good for social media, but I just, I really enjoy this. And this is just a really nice way to wrap up my Friday because this is truly my favorite thing in the whole world to do is sit here and podcast and talk to you guys if anyone's listening. Sometimes I wonder that. But anyways. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next Friday with Maya. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. I haven't seen her in forever. So get excited with that. So yeah, I will see you next Friday.